welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 15th of January 2012. Here to give an update on his trip to America is Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Well, I thank the Lord and I am glad that we could have the time coming around the Lord's table. And I think that that is a, a special time uh, that we look forward to. Uh, it's something that I don't like to see just hacked on to a service. is just a, uh, something else that we've got to get through. Uh, but he gave it to us as a special time to remember him. And I trust and pray that as we've looked at those scriptures, taken the bread and the cup, it's done that this evening. But now I'm going to try to give you a very quick synopsis and uh, try not to preach, uh, but at the same time to share a few truths. There's one thing that uh, I guess in these last few months that uh, becomes very real and very apparent, uh, and of course, uh, uh, that's the fact, you know, that when, uh, uh, when you have, I said to somebody this morning, uh, when you have great loves that are separated by something as big as the Atlantic Ocean, uh, it's a time of very mixed emotions a lot of times. And I want you all to know from the depths of our heart that uh, I couldn't express to you this evening how much that we missed you while we were away, uh, how much that you were in our thoughts and our prayers so much of the time. And of course, service after service, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening, and anywhere else that we could get a time in, uh, the main thing that we wanted to share with the folks over there was about you back here. Uh, for any of you that, that don't know, I guess that uh, uh, it's, uh, it's something that when we first came to Bethel uh, in uh, June of 1990, uh, we came here as a missionary pastor. Uh, we came, at that time we had uh, five children, Amber hadn't been thought about yet, uh, but we had five children and so with seven of us, uh, you know, we saw a 100% a, a growth the first Sunday uh, because we had about six or eight uh, aged folks. Uh, that had been here at that time for over 20-some years without a pastor. I saw a church that it, at one time had been a strong, vibrant witness for the Lord, uh, but that it saw it go into great decline. Uh, the facilities were in uh, uh, such bad shape that uh, it's hard to, uh, to describe, uh, but the folks were struggling because, you know, the Muslims have already been by wanting to buy these facilities right here that we're sitting in tonight uh, to turn them into another mosque. Uh, and that was the last thing they wanted since they had been uh, first entered in 1931. Uh, this building was built out of a great tent revival that took place uh, just outside here on, on the field before these houses were even here. And so many people were saved uh, that they had to leave the tent set up and they had to begin meet in other places while they were building these facilities to, uh, to meet in. Uh, and during the 30s and 40s, uh, it was a great witness for the Lord. But during the 50s, it started going into decline, and, and they had not had a, a pastor uh, since the late 50s, early 60s, uh, when we came here in 1990. And we'd been a couple of years in the country praying for God's direction, and I knew with everything within me when the Lord brought us here that this was His perfect place for us. We came as a missionary pastor. The church had no way of paying a pastor, of, of taking care of a minister, and that was what God had laid on our hearts, uh, was the ministry of church planting 
uh, whether it be to start new works where that works needed to be, uh, or to see a work like this one not become one of those statistics. Most of you can look around the number of churches that have closed around us uh, in the last 30, 40, 50 years is, is mind-boggling. And uh, so the Lord brought us here. And uh, during the first five years, God blessed greatly. And in 1995, we had been in the country seven years and took our first furlough back to uh, visit our supporting churches. It was making it possible uh, for us to be here and uh, to get into new churches and present the burden. And, uh, and of course, during that, uh, that year that we were away, uh, the devil got in and almost everything here was destroyed. We came back. There again was a handful. And, and I'll tell you, I think for all those that were left and some of you that are here tonight were here then, and certainly for this preacher, that was probably the hardest time I ever went through in my life, spiritually and physically and everything else, to have seen uh, the devil uh, hurt and destroy so many people. And uh, we purposed in our hearts at that time that uh, by God's grace and by His will uh, that we were not going to take another furlough like that until God had a strong enough people established here that we could go with confidence of knowing uh, that uh, they would stand against Satan and his attacks. And folks, if you're doing anything for the Lord, the devil's going to be on the attack. And the sad thing is, is that most of the time uh, he uses people that don't even know that they're being used. And uh, so uh, uh, since that time in, in 1996 when we returned, uh, we had not visited our supporting churches in the States. And so for, uh, for, for many of them, it had been at least 15, 16 years. And uh, that's what this past uh, uh, almost four months was about. Uh, we didn't visit new churches. We went to visit those churches that have supported our ministry, that have made it possible for us uh, to be here uh, and to minister to you. And, uh, and it was a, uh, a marathon of a journey. Uh, it was a great blessing in so many ways because, uh, you know, many of these people we hadn't seen in so long, some of those people had supported us for 25 to 30 years, and we hadn't seen them. Uh, we even had churches that had supported us for seven or eight years that we'd never even been there. Uh, and so God allowed us to begin those. But, uh, but during that time, uh, we've worked out that somewhere in a three-month period, we covered somewhere between 15 and 20,000 miles. And uh, that's a lot of miles to cover uh, in a different church every service. And, uh, and we just thank God, though, that uh, He was with us. Uh, some of you prayed for us. You know that we had uh, some, uh, some real battles in the beginning when it came to uh, sorting out, uh, first of all, sorting out a vehicle. Um, and then uh, when we... Uh, we had our first few weeks meetings in fairly close to our home in, in, in North Carolina. And as soon as we headed out, our, our first long journey was to take us from North Carolina all the way up to, uh, to Buffalo, New York, uh, Niagara Falls, and across those uh, states of, of, of Vermont, New Hampshire, up into uh, uh, Maine, right up in the uh, upper, uh, it's the farthest northern state that you can get to up there. Uh, and uh, uh, God allowed us to just about outrun the snow the whole way because when we left Buffalo, uh, they said the snow was on its way. And so uh, we were ahead of it as we got across to Maine. And when we, uh, we left Maine, we left there on a Friday on our way down to Baltimore, Maryland. And uh, the snow was supposed to arrive in Maine that Friday evening when we left that morning. And we made it down as far as Connecticut 
and we, uh, we spent the night there. I got up on Saturday morning coming down in towards New York City and down uh, that eastern coast, and the snow finally caught us, and we were in terrible, terrible snow blizzard. Uh, matter of fact, uh, caught that whole eastern seaboard by, by surprise, and, uh, and it was some pretty treacherous driving. Uh, again, thanks to your prayers, we, uh, we had one of our closest calls there literally in New York City as we were driving through uh, in that snow when uh, uh, I still don't know how that car missed us except by the grace of God because uh, he was so close that we, we felt the vehicle shake. I thought he had hit us uh, as, he, as he went by, but God kept us safe on those journeys. Uh, and of course, we then came down with the snow uh, down to uh, Baltimore, Maryland, back across Virginia and back into uh, to North Carolina again. And of course, one of the amazing things about that trip is that when we had headed out from North Carolina heading up, uh, we didn't know until uh, uh, we started up through the mountains there that uh, uh, we started having transmission slippage in, uh, uh, in, in high gear. And uh, so we drove it. We got to Buffalo. We took it to a transmission specialist that assured us there was nothing wrong with that transmission. It was just a uh, performance problem, and it continued to slip. But yeah, that transmission held together during all those thousands of miles back to uh, to North Carolina, where we then had to have that uh, that transmission uh, rebuilt. And uh, and of course, then Miss Rifka arrived, and uh, she came over and. Uh, and traveled with us for, I don't, I don't know, what was it, about six weeks or something like that, all, all total. And uh, so uh, she got a little bit of the, uh, a taste of what it was uh, like to, uh, to live on the road. And, you know, it's mixed things because physically you get tired. Uh, we got there. We had, we had a couple meetings in close, and we had uh, uh, Thanksgiving there. And then the day after Thanksgiving, we headed out for our western journey out through uh, uh, out across Tennessee and down into Mississippi and Louisiana, back up through Texas and, and Arkansas and back across that way. And, uh, and again, it was a long journey. And there's sometimes you're on the road for, you know, six, eight, ten hour days. Uh, it makes for a long time uh, in the car. And, uh, and of course, when you're one lone guy traveling with uh, three or four ladies, uh, there's lots of pit stops along the way as well. And, uh, but, uh, uh, but we we covered a lot of miles, and God kept us safe. And those those are weary things. Uh, but the blessing is also is that uh, every time we were going somewhere to meet with God's people, uh, to meet with a people that uh, through their faithfulness, through their prayer, through their giving, uh, that it had made it possible for us to minister here in the UK, uh, having begun our twenty fourth year here now. And many of those churches had stood with us for all of those years and been faithful in all of that time. And we were in all different sized churches. Uh, I mean, they ranged from, uh, uh, from small churches with just a, a handful of people that uh, maybe only supported one or two missionaries, and we happened to be one of them, uh, to churches of literally hundreds and thousands and uh, that, uh, uh, you know, you look out across there and, and it's almost mind-boggling to... Uh, uh, to, to think that uh, in our day that, uh, that, that churches are still uh, that vibrant. And, of course, the smallness and the largeness had nothing to do with, uh, with what they were doing for the Lord or how important what they were doing was for the Lord. Uh, God blessed us to meet so many. Uh, and, uh, and during that time, uh, of course, the, uh, the big thing that we took to them was, first of all, our thanks uh, because... Uh, 
we could not have been here and had the privilege of serving God here uh, were it not for those churches because, uh, believe it or not, something has to pay the bills, something has to bring the food into the house, and something has to do all those things, and those churches is what had done it for us for these years. And so we owed them a great debt of gratitude, and we wanted to take that thanks to them. And, of course, during that time that uh, Rivka was able to be with us, uh, she wanted to thank them also, not only for us being here, but for uh, over the years, some of them out of some of those same churches have paid us visits here, and they've come to minister us and to be a blessing to us. And, uh, and so that was our desire, was to thank them, but also to be a blessing to them. Uh, just like when, when, when our missionaries come through, and Romani, after all that work that you put into that DVD, uh, of course, uh, some of you didn't know when we left, he had, he had worked so hard on putting that DVD together, but he had done it on his nice new modern uh, computer, and then when we put it on mine, it wouldn't work, uh, because I still had old programs compared to his, and, uh, and so it wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't let me run that. And uh, so we, we hastily put together a lot of the, uh, the photos that he had and that we had and that uh, Shelley sent us more over. Uh, but ultimately what we tried to show to those folks, and in most of the churches we, uh, uh, we did show them some slides and some, and some photos, uh, but it was of you uh, trying to, to show them because, you know, God's work is not about buildings. Uh, we thank God that he's allowed us to see these facilities modernized, uh, to become more usable. We've never tried to, uh, to, to go over the top with anything, but we've tried to, uh, to do what the Lord would have us to do in a way that would honor Him. Uh, but a church is about people. Uh, we might put the name out on a building out front, but it's just a building that we meet in. It's the place that we come together that is common for the work that God has called us to do. And, uh, and so those, those churches, as we went from church to church, we thanked them. Uh, we tried to be a blessing to them. Uh, we tried to let, allow them to see uh, that there was a church here in Birmingham, England today. Uh, yes, there's other churches. There's other churches that are preaching the truth around the country. Uh, but there's one here uh, that most likely would have been one of those statistics had it not been for their faithfulness and their prayers over the years, and, uh, and that we were so very proud. Uh, you know, as you look around this congregation, it doesn't take long to figure out that, uh, uh, you know, we are an unusual crowd of people. Uh, God has brought us from not only all over the country, but from all over the world, uh, and He's brought us together in this place here uh, with, first of all, a common family tie in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, for a common cause in the truths that we believe in, the truths that we want to live our lives by, and hopefully a common cause in reaching others with that gospel, uh, the only thing uh, that will change an individual's life. And uh, so we try to take that, that message of, of, of hope to them uh, and thanks to them, uh, but I also had a challenge to take to each and every one of those churches. And uh, uh, you know, I, I was honest with them. Uh, again, I said something earlier about being as, as young as I am. There's another thing about being as young as I am not anymore. Um, and, uh, and some of those churches that we were in, uh, the last time that they had seen me uh, when was, was when I was that 30-ish young man 
that had a house full of little children down here, uh, you know, brown hair and, uh, and, and, uh, and all that stuff. And uh, uh, suddenly this old man turns back up on their doorstep. Uh, and, uh, of course, I've told people over the years, I wasn't really quite sure what put all the gray hair. Uh, it could have been a combination. I'm not sure if it was uh, raising six teenagers or pastoring a congregation of such lovely people. Uh, but, uh, uh, but I was quite a, 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 a different young man than many of them saw, and of course they were as well. Uh, one of the real blessings, you know, that in many of those churches, uh, still some of the same uh, faithful servants were still there pastoring and leading their congregations on. Of course, some of them had gone on to be with the Lord. Some of them had... Uh, had, uh, had ceased to be in those places, and new pastors had come along, and it was an opportunity to meet them. But one thing that uh, I'm sure that Rivka's already shared with you since she got back is just I can't express to you what a blessing that they were to us in their care, in their love. Uh, you know, again, it's, it's very special, and that's one, of the, that's one of the special things about doing missions the way we do them. Uh, there's a lot of people that do missions in all kinds of different ways, and I thank God for them if they put it all into some kind of corporate pot or all that. But every missionary and every mission organization that we support, we know them personally. Uh, they're people uh, that have come by here, uh, that are involved in ministries that we've chosen to be a part of. And, of course, that's the thing as we go back there. Uh, then this ministry... Uh, is something that they have been a part of for all of these years. And uh, so we thank God for that. Um, but I'm convinced. You know, there are so many messages. I, I've shared with you before that when we look into the Word of God, I can remember as a young preacher, I can remember, you know, when you start thinking about preparing all those sermons. Now, some of you have had a little bit more of a taste of that in our absence than maybe you ever had before. Uh, it is a daunting thing as a human being uh, to think about preparing two or three sermons a week, spending the time that is needed with the Lord in prayer and in His Word, uh, and to take it serious because as your pastor, boy, I may not be the greatest, I may not be the best preacher, but I'll tell you one thing. I take it serious that when I come into this pulpit that I don't come here just to fill time, but that God has given me something that I can pass on to you. We all, uh, you know, what we get here is not enough. Uh, if we don't spend that time ourselves uh, on our knees and in God's Word and, and, and allowing God to feed us individually, then we'll never be strong Christians. But it's all in, important together. Uh, God's people always came together, Old Testament, New Testament, and that's important for us as well. Um, I shared with them that, uh, you know, when you're not as, when, when, when you're uh, as young as I'm not anymore, that uh, there's also something else, and that's that uh, if you went to my boxes of, uh, of, of paper sermons and all those that I've got on computers and everything else, you know, there's thousands of them now over these years. Uh, there's no shortage of sermons that uh, has had the time put in them to prepare. And I can tell you this, that though it's one of the most daunting things, one of the things that I enjoy in life uh, so much that it's hard to express is being with God and God giving you those thoughts and you putting those thoughts down and having the privilege to share them with someone else. I love sermon preparation. Uh, though it's one of the most awesome things you face, 
I love what the Lord does there through his word. But I shared with him, you know, I, I could, I've got no shortage of sermons to preach, but I ask you to pray that God would keep me fresh because I am convinced, folks, I would not even begin to try to prioritize uh, what's more important and less important from God's Word. But if I can summarize for you, one of the things that I believe that is hurting the churches more than anything else today, when we look around at all of those that, even those that genuinely know what it's like to be truly born again, those that we would classify truly as evangelical churches that are proclaiming that message of the gospel, um, we've let a lot of things get in the way. Uh, churches have become so professional. Uh, churches have gotten so focused upon all of their programs, uh, the programs to do this and that and the other. And the simple truth is, is that hopefully all of our ministries are important, uh, but we don't come together so that we can have this meeting and that meeting and get together for something else and for something else and for something else because we don't have anything else to do with our time. Um, one of the messages that I felt that God truly, genuinely wanted me to carry because I believe this too. I believe that certainly in our modern worlds that there are few places on planet Earth that have been blessed with such rich Christian heritage as the British Isles and the United States of America. We can look back and we could begin a list of men and women, of people that, that God has used greatly so much that hundreds of years later their names are still recognized and known because of what they accomplished for the Lord. But you know, the simple truth is, we can't live in the past. And no matter how rich that our heritage is, no matter what God has done in the past, whether it be in our lives, in our church, in our nation, or whatever, it only takes one generation for all of that to be gone. And we're living in a generation now that we see it decaying before our eyes. In most of those churches, I began with a simple introduction out of one of the most common passages in the Bible, in the Gospel of John chapter 14. Jesus there in the upper room with his apostles, as he was trying to prepare them for what he was about to go through for each and every one of us at Calvary. And he made him one of the greatest promises that we hold dear. Matter of fact, a promise that is without a doubt one that is used probably as much or more than many in the Bible when a child of God leaves this world. When he said, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Those are wonderful things that we, that we not only get hope out of in this life, 
But that gives us great hope, and that's why, again, let not your heart be troubled. They're given to us so that they can bring comfort. That's a tremendous promise. I shared with you earlier. Now, my dad was only 54 when he left this world. But you know, one of the great hopes that I have is John chapter 14, because one day I'll see him again. All of us here probably have loved ones. We hold that promise. That promise is great. That promise is dear. But the simple truth is this. That is a promise for us to give us comfort in this life because of what it's doing for us in the next. What the promise that we have beyond this life. But we're not there. God still has a reason for you and I to be right here where we are right now. And that's what we looked at in the message this morning. Right now, in this place, at this time, there's a reason why you're still here. Those that have gone before us, thank God for those that have been used of God. And I believe that every individual, that we don't put them on greatness with God because of how famous their name is, but by simply being used where God wants them, in God's place, in God's time. Jesus went on down, and after talking about the oneness of him and the Father, I shared explicitly that there in verse 12, a breathtaking promise to me when I first tried to grasp it, when he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. Wow, that's Jesus talking, right? <laughs> Jesus said, not just you apostles, he said, He that believeth on me. How many here this evening could lift your hand and say, that's me. I'm one of those that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He that believeth on me. Jesus said, him that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. How can we ever hope to do what Jesus did? I mean, that, that just seems totally, completely unreasonable. But he didn't stop there. He said, and greater works than these shall he do because I go unto the Father. <laughs> he didn't just stop by saying that we were going to do what he did, but he said we were going to do something greater because he was going to the Father. Those next two verses are one of the greatest things in a Christian's life. We hear them over and over again, that little thing called prayer. Prayer. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Prayer. And then the next thing, the next verse says, if ye love me, keep my commandments. His word. How do we know what God wants? Because he tells us man can have all kinds of weird ideas. And you know, the simple truth is this. I would never knowingly tell you anything that was wrong. I would never knowingly guide you astray. But I'm a man. And I'm more human than most of you probably when it comes to mistakes and errors. Simple truth is I can make a mistake, though I may never want to. God never makes a mistake. His word is never wrong. And he's given us that. But, you know, he goes on to explain how could he sit there and say, them that believe on me, 
The works that I do, they're going to do, and not even that greater works than that are they going to do because I'm going to the Father, and there's going to be this thing called prayer. Because I'm going, see, they're going to be able to pray in my name, and they're going to have my word. If they love me, they're going to live by my word. They're going to be obedient to my commandments. And then he explains in verse 16, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Why could Jesus make that promise? Because he was going to the Father, he was sending another. We just spent an awful lot of weeks some time past in our series talking about the Holy Spirit, didn't we? His purpose, his purpose, and his purpose is that the work of Christ will still be carried on in this world. The work of Christ. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his purpose in coming. That was God's plan before he ever created the first human being. God had his plan in place. And that plan was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the one right here in making his promises. Why? Because that Jesus that came and lived and accomplished all that he accomplished in one body while he was walking on the face of this earth, he was no longer going to be confined to one human body. Why could he say greater than these to them that believe on me? Because he was going to live in you and he was going to live in me. It's the work of Christ it's greater, not because that we can do more than him, but because he's doing it through all of them that believe. Not just as one body that he came and died in and accomplished the greatest work in history, but as he was going back to the Father, he was going to come and accomplish that. And folks, that is not mere coincidence. When we then tie that into, we can look at the Great Commission in every one of the Gospels but we can also turn just a few pages over in your Bible in Acts chapter 1 and in verse 8. Remember, he said these greater works were going to take place because he was going to the Father, because he was sending another. And in Acts 1.8, he said, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. That's where the power was going to come from, the power that the work of Christ could be accomplished. I shared with you, and I shared with those folks, and I'll give you this as I kind of try to wrap it up. Back just around, I think, our last missions conference last year, I preached you a message on the why and the how of missions. Why? Folks, I'm convinced we've got to get back to the main business of God. And that's the message I've tried to carry to all these churches. It's great. It's great. I mean, and we can make the list and we could go on and on and on. We love having fellowship. It's great that we can do all these things. It's great that we can feed the poor. It's great that we can go out and we can visit with the sick. It's great that we can do all these things. But why do we do it? What is our purpose behind it as the body of Christ as we are here is that the work of Christ can be accomplished through us. It's that Jesus Christ himself through the power of the Holy Spirit can work through us and that we will be witnesses unto him right to the ends of the earth. 
What is missions about? It's about winning the lost to Christ. It's not what we just pin up on that board back there. It's not what's happening across the world somewhere. It's that the work of Christ is being done in our lives and through us. That's why we're still here. We're not here to be successful in our jobs. We're not here so that we can have the bigger house. We're not here for all those things. Many things will have a part in our life. But we're here still. You and me and every human being, if they're one of them that believe, they would be better off today. There is absolutely nothing that this world can give them that will compare to what they've got when the first part of that chapter becomes a reality, when they're there in that prepared place. We can't even imagine it because we don't know anything about a place that's not tainted with sin, that doesn't know sickness, that's never been corrupted by man and by the sin that's in us. We don't know anything like that. You and me and every one of us we can't even begin to imagine what's in store for us. But we're still here right now. And for right now, we can spend our lives being focused on all these other things. And if we're not careful, we can put all of our efforts into our churches in having all of these programs and, and doing all these things and, and impressing everybody out there by how religious we are and what good things that we're doing. But I'm saying all of it, winning the lost to Christ, this thing we call mission, winning the lost to Christ, it can't just be part of the program it is the program. That's what God planned. That's what Jesus accomplished. And that's what he wants to do through you and I. That's why we're still here. And God has a purpose for your life where he'd take you on because you'd be far better off there. He's building his place over there. But if we're still here, and as a church, I believe that us and all of those others out there where God's people are gathering together, it begins with us as individuals. And as God brings us together in our fellowships down here, I'm saying that the message that I've carried to them is the same one that I have tried to impress to you over and over again. Let's not get sidetracked by all of these things that though they may be important and though they may be good, let them be helping us to do the main thing better, to focus upon the most important thing, and that's that Jesus Christ could be seen in our lives, that his work can be accomplished through us in spite of our failings, spotting again it wrong. You know, there's a lot of our brothers and sisters in Christ out there, and I, and I may disagree with them on a doctrine over here, and I may disagree with them on a, on a doctrine over there. They may not be comfortable being a part of this assembly because they're not comfortable with something that we take a stand on, the doctrines that we stand upon. But I'm saying those differences be what they may. You know, the simple fact is we're not going to accomplish everything by flouting those truths and flexing our muscles and showing everybody what great Christians we are, what great truths that we're standing on. I'm saying it's all useless if the main thing isn't taking place. Why are those things important? 
hopefully to make us stronger. Hopefully that Christ can do more through us. They're all important. We haven't spent nearly two years on contending for the faith for no reason. But it's not just so we can know all these things and prove to somebody how smart we are so that God can use us to do what he sent his son to do. And when Jesus left this world to go back, he left us. And he wants not only to see those same works accomplished, but greater works as he works through all of us. I gave them three simple points, and you've heard them before. Why? Why is it so important? First of all, we just read the verse there. If ye love me, keep my commandment. Jesus said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Why? He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And that damnation is for all of eternity. We could look at it in all of the other gospels. Simple truth is, he commanded it. There is only two options, obedience or disobedience. We're either active or we're not. It's either the most important thing to us because that's what he's left us to do, or it's somewhere down the list because we've got too many other priorities in life. He commanded it. Second, is compassionate. <laughs> Love is an easy word to say, but it's a whole lot different to show. I said this morning, I gave you those two illustrations. When Jesus looked on the multitudes, he had compassion upon them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. What's a sheep without a shepherd? Well, I've said before, you know, sheep is a cute animal. Man, they're cuddly and they're sweet and they're gentle. You know, they, has anybody ever been afraid of being bitten by a sheep or being attacked by a sheep? You know, <laughs> well, you're in a very unusual position. <laughs> Simple truth is, is, you know, that with all that sweetness and gentleness, though, they're dumb. <laughs> I mean, they don't see danger. <laughs> they just absolutely walk right into it without ever thinking about it. Folks, there's a lot of nice people in this world, gentle people, cuddly people. <laughs> Simple truth is, though, Without the Lord Jesus Christ, and I say it with all due reverence, and they're dumb. They're dumb. Many of them are in ignorance because they've never been told. And we're the ones he told to tell them. Told you this morning, you got that priest and that Levite, man, they knew that Bible inside and out. They had all the religious stuff. They had all the ceremony lined out. They had it all. When they saw that one that was half dead, they couldn't be bothered. No, they could, they, could, they could spout it all off. That old Samaritan, that one thing that was different was that he had compassion. He had compassion. I've told you before what that word means. It's not just some emotional tear, some emotional something that stirs you up. When Jesus had compassion, you know the Bible meant he hurt down inside himself. He hurt because of the danger the others were in. That Samaritan hurt himself when he saw that one half dead beside the road. And he did something about it. You see, 
He had the compassion. He cared enough that it put action to it. He went to him. He bound up his wounds. He put him on his animal. He took him to the inn. He took care of him there. Not only that, man, he wrote that innkeeper a blank check. He said, whatever else it takes to take care of him, you take care of him. When I come back by here, if this isn't enough to cover it, I'll take care of it. He didn't put any stipulations. He didn't say it's worth this much. He said, whatever it takes to make him whole again, that's what I'm willing to pay. I'm saying the church has lost that. The church has lost that. And until we start hurting for those for those that are without Christ, for those that are hurting out there, we're never going to accomplish the work of Christ that he wants to do through us. He wants to do things through you, through this church, through, through those that will let him that's even greater than we can imagine. But if it's going to happen, then we're going to have to be obedient to his command. We need the compassion. And the third thing I've said to you before, it's so simple Folks, it's Christian. It's easy to say, I'm a Christian. Well, when they were called Christians first at Antioch, it wasn't because they stuck a sign up out front to say we're such and such Christian church. It wasn't because they walked around. I even showed them that picture you reminded downtown with that big poster over the front of you. <laughs> I said, we got some strange people in our church. Amen. <laughs> but the simple truth is, is they called them Christians first at Antioch because they were trying to be derisive. They were trying to make fun of them. They were trying to put them down because the lives that they were living and what they were doing reminded them of Jesus Christ. They were little Christ. They were Christ-like. We call ourselves Christians, but do others recognize us as being Christ-like? Again, I've said it in, in probably every one of those churches, and I say it this evening, with all the love from my heart, we ought to quit calling ourselves Christians if we're not going to be Christ-like. We ought to quit taking on the tag and telling others that we're like him, to him, to him. The most important thing, the reason he came and suffered and died and did everything that he could was that the lost might be saved. Is that what's important to us? I believe that's why that God has used our nations in the past because there were people that cared, that were obedient, that were truly Christ-like. With all their imperfections, Christ was able to work through them. And if there's hope for us today, that's where it's going to come. We can't change them all out there. But I said that this morning. God has you where you are at this point in your life for a reason. Will you let God use you? And folks, again, I guess that uh, I believe with all my heart, not because that, uh, uh, that there was anything theologically great, but I've spent the last three and a half months preaching my heart out to churches because this world is not going to change. It's not going to be changed by the world. It's God's people 
That's who he wants to use. Boy, we've got the most glorious promise in the world when we leave this world. But are our lives going to be wasted down here on all these things that we make important? Or are we going to let Christ do what he wants to do through us? That's to win the loss to Christ. To make sure that that is the priority in our life. I told you this morning, everything we do, we do as unto the Lord. Everything we do should be done in a way that it glorifies and honors him. But I do believe this, this evening that I am totally, completely honest when I say to you that everything else, everything else, the most important things still come below this one. And that's the work of Christ be done, being done in our lives. That's the hope for us, for our generation, and for any generation to come. Not that somebody might remember our name someday, but that they might remember the name of Jesus, <laughs> that they might know him, that they might know that reality, not because of what you do, but what you allow Christ to do through you. Christ is the only one that can do his work. But he was going to the Father, and he sent another that now lives and dwells in you. And I know some of you have been out there in the open airs when that's one of the verses that many of the Muslims try to take us to and tell us we've misunderstood all that, that that's actually Muhammad that was being sent there. They believe that. That was the helper that was sent. But you know different. You know the truth. You know who that one is that was sent alongside us. It's God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit that comes to live and dwell within you. If he doesn't live there, then you're none of his, he says. The moment you put your faith and trust in Christ, he takes residence. He seals you. You're his for all of eternity. He wants to use you for his glory. So you see, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for uh, all that you did in our absence. Um, I told him, you know, not to get to liking it too good. I may come back and you decide you liked it better without me. Amen. Um, but uh, we're so glad to be back with you. And I pray that, uh, that as we move forward for here, uh, that our priority above all else, that God can use us for the most important thing, that everything else that we do, It'll be focused towards that. Thank you for all your prayers because, you know, a lot of times, um, even as Christians, if we're not careful, things can become mechanical. Uh, and I believe this was the message that God wanted me to take to those churches, but I didn't want it to become mechanical. And that's why I ask you to pray over and over again. Just, Lord, you know, help me. I, I, you know, I don't want to say the same thing. And I'm, This is the message, but you let, it, let, let me give it fresh to those people each time in the way that you would have it delivered. And uh, has it made any difference? I don't know. But I think that I've been obedient. And I thank you for being obedient to the Lord here. And I am totally honest when I say that, and I'm looking forward to 2012, what the Lord wants to do. But let's get our eyes off the disappointing, discouraging things. Let's look to the great God and the promises that we have, not just when we get through it all, but the promises of what he wants to do through us right now, right where we are. And God will do it if we'll give ourselves to him.
Father, I thank you this evening so much for this church. Lord, I, I know that, uh, uh, Lord, this evening and just trying to share these thoughts that, <coughs> Lord, it may not have been totally clear, but I pray that you'd help them to understand the burden that's been on our hearts that we've tried to carry to these sister churches, Lord, that have been such a blessing to making our ministry here possible. I thank you for this church and each one that you've put together here. Lord, we know that we need each other. We know that it's you that brings us together in a unity that with all of our other differences, we can be one in Christ. I pray that you would help us, first of all, beginning as individuals, and then, Lord, as a body, as we are bound together in a like faith and a like cause. Oh, I pray that you'd help us, not that this preacher or any of the church leaders or any members of this congregation, not for any man's glory. Nobody may never remember any of our names, but they may come to know and remember Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, not to get sidetracked on other things to the detriment of that main thing. We give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.